1935, the Lions win the NFL championship. The Detroit Tigers take the World Series. The Red Wings bring home Lord Stanley's Cup. Joe Lewis begins his rise to world domination. This transforms the Motor City into Detroit, city of champions. Ah, uh, there is the uh, smack of the leather. Crack of the bat. Crack of the bat. <laughs> smack of the leather. And it is time for Detroit City of Champions. I'm Jamie Flanagan. Charles Avison. And uh, that gentleman wrote a trilogy of books that I am just uh, enamored with, uh, astounded, amazed by uh, the work that you put into these. And we were talking a little bit uh, before we got on the air about, you know, again, your process. And this isn't something to come up because I've asked you about, you know, how do we get into this? And it was like it started with a paper in school and, and finding some information. And it was fascinating. Uh, but then when it came time, because it's not cheap to publish a book. No. In the, it, in the entire uh, mainstream, like, uh, publishing industry is pulled out of Michigan. Yeah. There's no, you can't just, like, go and say, hey, I want to go find Penguin Books or whatever. Yeah. You have pretty much the only way, like, there's Wayne State Press, which is, um, you know, that they you know they sure. publish a lot of, like, more, like, academic. You kind of have to be plugged in with Wayne State in some capacity. Yeah. Um, or, you know, there's, or, um, or you have to be kind of like a big national writer, like a Mitch Album type. Uh, that to get like to get like a mainstream publisher. Otherwise, there's a major vacancy in Michigan. Regional publishing is almost it's it's tough. But it's we kind of crossed paths with a, a conversation because we were talking. I started talking about uh, a newscaster in town who's like all about baseball and, and, and playing cards. So you know, football cards, baseball cards. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, I, I you know, you're so in depth and you're so. And I know we've seen in, in your book. There's images of. Oh, dude, I've got so many and, baseball cards. And, I, I, I one of the things I, a side note I would try to do was tell. If you were to just look at only the baseball cards, this is like yeah. a secret for the books. Oh, wow. if you didn't care anything about the books Easter egg. whatsoever, here we go. It is. It is an Easter egg. Uh, if you didn't, if you didn't want to read anything about yeah. anything about any of these players or, or any of the story or anything, right? And you started, uh, especially from the second and third, second and third book on, you could you could literally probably you could probably follow you have a really good understanding of everything I talk about from just looking at each baseball card yeah. and reading the caption because you extract. A ton of the information yeah, well, from that. I just love. I love, I love baseball. I love baseball and sports People cards so love much. Their cards. Yeah. So like, I mean, literally, if there was a baseball card or anything with regard with for a player, I had it in there. You know, it, I was trying to focus on the 1935, of course. Sure. Um, and so, yeah, this is like the Easter egg is, is that if you only read the caption of every baseball card you saw. Are they indexed like that as a baseball card or not? I don't have an index in the books, okay, okay, but what play. I'm saying is if you started at like page yeah, yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, and just, and just flip till you saw through, a card. And, flipped, exactly. Yeah. Then you could pretty much get the gist of the books wow. just by reading the captions of the baseball cards. Right. That's how much I, I love cards. I uh, love baseball cards. Uh, I love, and here's here's a thing that I didn't know till today. I found this out today. This was new information. How did you fund? Because it's not cheap to self-produce a book and, and, yeah. and like this trilogy of books that you did. How did you fund? Well, that? one of the ways. I was well, what was wrong. one of the ways? Well, there, there, I had some, there was man whoring. Well, there, there was a lot of man whoring. There's a lot of man whoring <laughs> yeah, going on. Yeah, there's that. There's a lot of because I, I wouldn't take tricks. anything away from some of the. There was, <laughs> I had some. I had some great uh, family and friends that helped me finance. I don't want to take away. Okay. this is actually a chance to give a shout out to them. I thanked them in the books, of course. Yes. But, um. Yeah. I mean, there was. There's a lot of people there, but you know. But my aunt. Um. You had a lot uh, of benefactors that helped. My you? Aunt, yeah. My aunt. We didn't Ginger, talk about. We didn't get into the nitty gritty about the money. My aunt Ginger helped me out. My grandma Avison helped me. Out. Nice. My grandma Burgett helped me out. Nice. Um, and then, uh, holy and then crap! My, I my, love this. My yeah. heart is melting. Oh yeah. Keep going. And then a friend, a really good friend of mine. You know, one of my best friends. His name is Jeremy Gephardt. His yeah. parents, like he, he he went to bat for me with his parents. Wow. And his parents gave me uh, a fantastic, a, a huge, you know, fantastic like you know loan. 
um, which I'm still actually working on repaying. <laughs> and then my cousin Scott uh, Bonner and his wife Jen, they gave me another massive amount. Like, there's no way. Like the like the we were talking about the baseball cards. How I sold these cards to help finance it. And that was that the thing, was yeah. like one. That was maybe one fifteenth of the money I needed okay, to do this. All right. That, you so, know, that was, so I don't. Yeah, I don't even want to sit there and say I financed it all by selling my baseball cards. Oh, yeah, no, okay, that yeah, was. Yeah, I mean, I yeah. I sold everything I had. To you, sold it. It. <laughs> you know that and got <laughs> there, was, there was a dog. I had a dog I really loved, and uh, yeah, oh, it was, it was yeah, my little brother. He wasn't Eddie, moving too fast, so yeah, that was gone. Yeah. Oh, I sold everything I had, and I had you know I had you know I couldn't even begin to ask for loans from anybody or you know money from anybody until I I mean I had to I, I look, couldn't look myself in the mirror without selling everything right. I had of value. You know, I mean, because if I had anything of value whatsoever and I went and asked people for, you know, to help me finance these projects, you know what I mean? Like and that would never is, I couldn't even look myself in the mirror if I like you like, hey, I just borrowed a bunch of money from family and friends, but I still got my little nest egg of money for yeah, my own self. I mean, I cleaned out my my all my I had retirement money that I've been saving up for years. That was gone. I mean, everything. I had nothing so here, when I started. But here's this. the thing. Well, here's the thing. And and this is, you know, why when I met you and you were telling me the story and how passionate you are about these books and the story that they tell is like you like you threw yourself into this spiritually, you know, Everything. emotionally, uh, time-wise, and, and financially into this. Yeah. And, it, and when when someone meets you, and, and again, if it's just casually meeting you at an art fair, is how I met you, just yeah. at an art fair. You're there, you had a little pop-up tent. You know, you paid your 50 bucks to be there to sell yeah. your books and your magnets. Yeah. And, 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 and then we talked, and I'm like, holy crap, this guy is on fire fire about this topic <laughs> i go i love his passion i sold a trilogy today to a lady and i nice. was I, I was into it today i was like i was working on the show you know the getting everything ready for the show today so lady came up and looked at the book and i was like she was like oh look at what's this and i was like i was like man here we go here's uh, a chance i gotta uh, you know like a little tune up my skills for tonight <laughs> you know and i jumped right into it she's like she was always she's already like she was what I get a lot of times is I'm I'm still telling the story like I forget I'm even trying to sell a book. Sure, after you get into I'm it. I'm yeah. all like, totally into it and the lady's like, "Okay, I'll take one." And yeah. I'm like, I'm like, "Hold on a second. Don't worry about that." <laughs> there's more, but yeah, and I'm like, "Don't worry about the sale. We'll take wait, care of that." But wait, there's she's more. like, "No, here's 100 bucks for a trilogy." I'm like, "No, hold on. We'll here's get 150 to that. if you stop talking." <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. I get to the point where they're like where they're like, "No, I'll give you more money to shut up and get, take let me get my books." You know, uh, like but that's what I'm saying like it but that's why this show is so great cuz we get to I get to talk about it, you know, it's you know for an hour a week, and yeah. dedicated, and we get to talk about it, you know, as much as we want. But one of your passions, but something that you really love, and they come through in the books. And I thought you might have cards. You don't really have. You only have a, a smattering of cards from 1935. You had a, a very a substantial collection oh, from yeah. from 1909, 1911, yeah, like early, early. It's called T206. It's called T206. It's a card that it's a card collection that came out. Basically, what they were is oh, and, um, and we're talking cards, about. Hang on, cards. we're talking about cigarette. We're gonna we're talking about Joe Lewis and we're in the midst of Joe Lewis yeah. and we're gonna get to the rest of the Joe Lewis story and we're talking about Max Bear today. today so, yeah. so hang tight. We're talking about Max Bear and Joe oh, we'll Lewis. Get to it, yeah. But uh, but before we get that, it's like how this book got funded was in part a small part, and yet one of your passions and you you relinquished that oh, and I, I, sold yeah. it off. It was sad. It was a tough day. But oh, so the cigarette cards they're they're called what? They're called T two O sixes. T two O six. Yeah, T two O six. And what they were, they're legendary, really, in card collecting the card collecting world. It's like, yeah. like if if baseball cards are the stock market, then right. like T two O sixes are like the gold of the stock. How market. many? Like so gold. is it? Like does that span? Because you said nineteen oh nine, nineteen eleven. How how many years? Well, did what the T two O six span? Three years, nineteen oh nine to nineteen eleven. So okay, three, fair three, play. So three years, these cards were coming out. It was right. the, it was the golden age of baseball. It was okay. the early nineteen hundreds. Yeah. 
and um, like Ty Cobb has like five different cards in the set. Mm. Um, I mean, every great. I mean, there's just the most legendary cards in the set. But what they so nineteen. You know, it, but what they were was is that all um, there was like a company that printed the cards, right? And then there's all these different cigarette companies like across the country. And what they would do was is that they would a, a, a cigarette company would say, hey, we need X amount of these cards for our yeah. t- our cigarette packs. Sure. So like there was like Polar Bear. Cigarettes, yeah. and there'd be like Piedmont cigarettes, and then Sweet Caporal cigarettes. I almost want to smoke now. Well, that's yeah, that, that was the idea. <laughs> that was the idea was that if you buy a pack of cigarettes, yeah, you don't get a, smoke, kids. you get a baseball card with it. Yeah, you know, it was a giveaway, yeah, and yeah. so what? And so that come so, with your vape so they packs, would stamp, like, so they would stamp the cigarette yeah. logo on the back of the card. Oh, nice. So okay, there's yeah. no like player description or anything. It's just the it's the the front's got the picture, and then the back's got the the uh, the tobacco company. Okay, and so what they ended up doing was is that you know. Some tobacco companies were smaller than others, like Polar Bear was smaller than Sweet Caporal, and so there was less of that particular player with the Polar Bear back. Okay, and so it's a it's a whole industry oh. where each card is so like, Polar Bear being a smaller company, yeah. is more rare. Yes, since they were a so little dog a Ty, back then. Yes, yeah, so you might have a Ty Cobb. You know, there's a red portrait and a green portrait for Ty Cobb, which is one of the most beautiful cards in all of baseball card history. It's just nice. an amazing card. Holy but crap. there's a, a Ty Cobb red background, Ty Cobb green background. And then, um, but if one has polar bear, and one has sweet caporal. The polar bear is like three times more valuable. Wow! You know? Yeah. All right. So that's what I mean. So there's like there's so many variations, and so there's <laughs> five hundred and fifty cards in the set. And what kids? Used I was, was going to ask how many cards were in there. Yeah, it's like uh, I think it's five hundred and twenty-five or five fifty. Okay, so, so you yeah, were up to like 50, 60 I had 50 cards. Of them. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And what and, I was doing was for like five years, I worked on Mackin Island and. Um, you know, and I and I did other you know odd jobs throughout the year. But what I was doing was man whoring, okay, yeah, and man whoring <laughs> on the side, you know, whatever, whatever. Yeah. But wherever I could save whatever up some story cash, you want to write, Jamie, just where, go for it. Yeah, wherever I could save up cash, <laughs> yeah, whatever I could save up, you know, fifty bucks or whatever, then I would take that fifty and I would buy one card. Nice. And my goal was to get all five fifty. Yeah, yeah. Of course, the Honus Wagner. There's a card called the Honus Wagner T206. Wow. Most expensive card in all of baseball card collecting. So okay. Yeah. The, it's uh, at one point there's a. One Wayne Gretzky uh, was bought by. I'm sorry. One uh, Honus Wagner card was bought by Wayne Gretzky. Oh, and it's actually Carl the Wayne Gretzky T206. That was sold at one point. It was a million dollars. It was the first. So million. Wayne sold it off at some and point. Then he sold it off. Yeah, the guy that owns it now was so it's Artie this, Moreno, the owner of the Angels. Owns now that, that he owned it, it's it like even Gretzky. more valuable. Yeah, exactly. So that card becomes even more because it's this famous Wayne Gretzky card. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, somebody an Angels owner, the, the owner of the Angels, Artie Moreno owns the that T206 uh, Wagner. Now. And what's the what's the approximate value? I think it's I think he bought it for three million. Yeah, many Yeah, it, but that was the first million dollar card. Yeah, a piece of paper. Yeah, it's yeah. So there's you know the a piece it, of paper from 1909. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's like in really good condition. And yeah, there's like yeah, a story yeah. behind it. This I think that's yeah. the one that this kid found in like a tobacco tin in his backyard or something. Nice. Something like that. Yeah. But, um, but anyway, so what I was doing was I knew at some point in my life I would have to acquire the Wagner in yeah. order to complete my collection. Sure. So I started a retirement account yeah. specifically that it, over the course of years I would accumulate enough money to buy this Wagner. It would be like the final madness. card. I've so I'd have like a... friends over to my house. My like, heart is melting. Well, my dream was at one point I would have them all mounted on a wall. I'd have all 500 and whatever it is, four, like 550. But I have like 549 cards on the wall yeah. with like one slot open for the Wagner. Uh, and then I would, my retirement account, I would buy that uh, Wagner and put it up on the wall. And then like the next day I'd just sell it all off. Because it's too expensive of a set to own. By like sure. the time that the set's completed, it's worth like $50 million or oh something. My gosh. You know? yeah. So you it's so it's just but you like, had fifty of them. 
I had 50 of them, and they were good condition, too, yeah, They were because yeah. they're all graded. They're in these cases that once they're in the case, that's the case, right, yeah, you, you can't nice, open yeah. the case without breaking it. So yeah, that's where they're graded, and they're like, nice. you know, and so they were all really. It's like, I mean, 1900. I mean, this is, you know, 120 years yeah, old Yeah, I love I mean, it. I love the, I loved them. You know, I just absolutely obsessed with them. Like, just to give you an example, like how I was acquiring them, it was like my ex, my ex-girlfriend one time, she wanted to go to the casino, right. and I didn't want to go. And she uh, said, yeah, yeah, and she yeah, was yeah. like, well, I'll give you 50 bucks if you go to the casino with me. You know, so 50 bucks. Another just, card with that. Well, I'm not going to gamble exactly. it. Exactly. <laughs> because I'll give you 50 bucks to go to the casino. And I'll, you know, I'll basically buy you in when you go to yeah, the yeah, slots, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so instead of spending that money at the casino, I right. went to the casino with her, but I saved that 50 and then I bought a card. You know what I mean? Oh, like that's man. the kind of stuff I would do. You know, whenever I thought I was going to like buy something at the store, like groceries, I had like a whole list of stuff that I was going to get. And then I was like, and then I would like say, okay, I'm going to take off like these two items, right? And that saves five bucks from this yeah. order. And then I'm going to take that five and set it aside for a card. And so I that's love how that. I did it. Yeah. I love so, that. I, so over the course of like five or six years, I you know doing that slow methodical process, I had fifty of them. So here's what I'm I'm glad that this I'm so glad this came up. Yeah, it was kind of a we random actually, conversation. We went deeper <laughs> on yeah. this than we did when we were talking before. That we got to say thank you to some of the people that were behind. Yeah, I haven't. You had yeah. a lot of hard work. Um, that was in notebooks, and I've seen your crazy Mad Lib notebooks. Oh, yeah. And yeah, yeah. I love your notebooks and your binders and your information that you have that led to these books. And what brought you from those those notebooks and those notes and those binders to this was uh, apparently now some self-sacrifice and, and yeah. some uh, some uh, 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 very generous people that helped you along. I'm glad you were able to say thank you to somebody. Anybody else that you need to say thank uh, you to? You know, my parents, my brother, you know, like uh, there's a the, the, the thank you at the end of my first book is just massive. Yeah. I mean, there's so Let's many read people it. I thank. No, I'm kidding. No, I don't no, want to no, read no, it now. Well, I actually say at the beginning of it, because, you know, Homer, the, the, the Iliad by Homer is my favorite book, and they begin that book saying, you know, even if I had a hundred golden tongues and spoke from a hundred golden mouths, I would not have a, have be able to sing the tales of what I of the story I'm about to tell you. Like okay. it's a phenomenal opening for. So anybody. that was that was and kind of I, your thank so you. So I, I actually said that in my inter, oh, for nice. my acknowledgments. I said even if I had a hundred golden tongues ah. and a whole hundred, I go I, I say uh, I take a line from my favorite poet when I say if I had a hundred uh, golden tongues and spoke from a hundred golden mouths. Not what I would still not have enough words to thank all those people that helped me out with this. You all know? right. So that's why, that's why it's tough to like, because there's so many people that sure. like, you know, just friends and family over the years, you know, kind word here and there. That's just, that's valuable too, you know. So, well, thank you to everybody who's uh, who yeah. assisted in the in back in the yeah. creation of this. How many years has it been so far? I, I the book came out in uh, 2008. The all first right. book did, yeah. Started, so yeah, everybody from 2008 and, and then even before, prior to you know, that, even before uh, yeah. till now. Yeah. Thank you, and everybody who's been listening to the podcast, who's joined us and, yeah. and hung out. Uh, but the we, point we of that pre- baseball we appreciate court, we appreciate you. Being but what here. the point of the baseball card story just to wrap that one up a little bow yeah. is that it got to the point where the you know to finance the book one of the many different things was I had to sell off all the cards. Yeah, I sold I sold forty nine out of the fifty, and I yeah you and kept I, the one. Which one did you the, keep? The one I kept was a uh, it's called he's a Detroit Tiger. Okay, uh, hey, Donnie Bush. Yep, Donnie, Donnie Bush. Bush. Yeah, he was the shortstop for the Tigers in nineteen oh nine when they went to the World Series. Yeah, it's so um Don, so I kept the Donnie Bush card. It's beautiful. It was the first card I ever bought, and it was the last one. I was like, I'm not selling this. Card. So what's that? What's that fellow worth right now? What's uh, that? It's like probably like 130 bucks or yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's just, it's, cool. just it's got beautiful. Uh, it's, it's sharp corners. Beautiful. It's just an absolutely beautiful card. It's my. Yeah, it's yeah. probably it's one of my favorite cards, if not my very favorite. Yeah. And I was like, I just can't sell. Like it's it, it, like 
the like the the morale value of just keeping this one card yeah. like because like this is the seed of which I'm gonna buy them all back. You know, yeah. I kept pictures of all the ones I sold. I want to get them all back. Yeah, I sold off and and then the, you know the of course the retirement account that I started to sure. buy the Honus that. You know, I cleaned that out too. Yeah, <laughs> I cleaned it all out. I'm like, you know, I was delivering donuts for my mom. She had a bakery at that point. I was keeping the quarter, like the seventy five cents I got for whatever. I was like stockpiling the quarters. To I love that. Thing, I know? did. This is I learned something new. Yeah. Oh, it's, every, it's uh, everything. I put everything into this. I I'm, put everything I'm, into this. Yeah. So well, I mean, and so we've been talking about uh, Joe Lewis. Here's something. Let's tie it in with Joe Lewis and a trading card. Joe Lewis has a trading card. Boxers don't His have rookie, trading yeah. cards. He's got a rookie. Yeah. He's got. How's, a, how does Joe? The, how does he have a rookie card boxers have cards well there's they you know it's not just baseball cards there was in the you know especially in the 30s and that they would have uh i don't know sports cards i'm I'm sports ball i don't i know nothing no we've established this i know nothing about sports yeah i'm just enamored with your story we're going to talk about max bayer today and like i've got a i'm just looking at right now and there's max Max bayer's got a bad yeah yeah that's cool as hell because they, they, what they, you know, there was there was sports stars of the day. They would have cards for okay. for all of them. I'm pretty and, sure, and know, they Gar would come Woods through like cards, your uh, so. through your like uh, you know your Wonder Bread loaves that no, you're buying well, or maybe, cigarettes. Well, this or one, this one, uh, this Cracker one says Jacks. like you know they had bubble gum. This one says okay. uh, Sport Kings gum. You know, okay. So oh, so it was a gum, gum card. Okay, card, yeah. They were aware, like they knew, like that when the T two hundred six era, when they were doing those tobacco, those cigarettes. What the, these, the, you know, the kids love the cards like, so much. Hey. What the kids would do was, is that they would, um, you know, they would, they would uh, buy hey. the, they would buy a pack. They would save up enough money to buy like one pack, and they would sell the cigarettes, you know, loosely. <laughs> For like an extra, like they would mark this, you know, if a pack costs like, you know, like twenty cents or whatever. Oh my god, I love it. You know, or America. like ten cents or whatever, right? So they buy yeah, a pack yeah. for ten cents, and they would sell each cigarette for like two cents or something. You know, yeah, I mean, yeah. they double their money, and then they go buy it. two more packs, I and love then they have two cards. I know, and these yeah, are totally. ten year olds doing this. Yeah, exactly. So they would, so they would sell the, they would sell the cigarettes. It'd get oh, enough money holy crap, to buy back, the, you know, to buy another card, another pack. That is, that is wonderful. That's what I mean. Yeah, it's great. That's a, there's all these stories with it and stuff. So, you know, here we are, you know, 100 years later, dropping 100 bucks on one card. Oh, and you can see they yeah. want, and, and we don't, and they grew up, they were watching those players. They were, they yeah. wanted the players because they were watching them on the field. We're buying them because, I mean, I they're just, you know, that's like a bygone age. It's the folklore. It's, you know, it's, it's. You know, it's Americana. It's, it's, it's in, you know, it's just quintessential form. Yeah. So we really digress, but I, we were talking about oh. the baseball cards before, and I, I want to bring it up again. And we went even deep, deeper than I than yeah. I than I thought we would go, and I love it. Uh, so, but we've been talking about Joe Lewis, yeah, right. And we were talking about uh, he's like deep. He's getting into his professional career now. Yeah, we're working our way towards the last sort of you know last couple episodes of Joe Lewis here. Um, you know, I was thinking about what I wanted to cover for today because you know we're last we left. Joe had beaten Carnera, and yeah. then, you know, we were talking about how, you know, August. And nobody expected him August to. Of, Did yeah, they expect him no, to? No, oh, yeah. He was, I mean, he was somewhat even money. Everybody yeah. knew that Joe Lewis was a massive up-and-comer. Carnera was put there as a big test for him. Oh, okay. But if he but it was lo- a test. It was decidedly it was, it was a big test. test. Yeah, yeah, Carnera was a former heavyweight champion. It wasn't a walk in the park. Oh, absolutely not. Absolutely yeah. not. I mean, Carnera, you know, there, there's every chance in the world that, you know, this was Joe Lewis's first really major fight. Right, yeah. In 1935. And so he beat Carnera, and then we talked about sort of the aftermath last week, or last episode, where... Um, where, you know, there was like the summer of Joe, you know, yeah. there's the summer of the Tigers. So that, you know, Joe is coming up at the same moment as Detroit's going, uh, you know, Tiger tiger fever. Yeah. So it was really Tiger mania and Joe Lewis mania at the same time in Detroit. Yeah. And Joe's there. He's at the games. He's like, people are way, you know, he's a, he's the center of attention at these Detroit Tiger games. And he's the, and he, you know, in 
and he's a Tiger fan. You know, yeah. he's a Detroit Tiger fan. So you know, so it's like the summer of Joe, so to speak. You know, I mean, this is Joe Mania. And to have two, you know, a lot of times you see like a mania, like people might remember like Fernando Valenzuela. There's like Fernando Mania, or there's you know these different these manias that go on. For an athlete, well, in Detroit, there was two manias at the same time. That's what's so amazing is right. you had the Joe Lewis mania, and which was national, and then you had Tiger mania, you know, which is you know incredibly local. So you know, but even though Joe, Joe Lewis was national, but he was also incredibly local as well. So we yeah. had two manias happen at the same time at this moment. So, so that's where we kind of left off last week. And I was talking, thinking about like we're sort of headed towards the next big fight with you know the final fight, really the big fight that Joe Lewis had in nineteen thirty at the end of this. Year, mm-hmm. which was against Max Bear, right? And I and I was thinking about like, what do we want to cover today? Do we want to talk about um, you know Joe's sort of training and like whatever he did to get it ready ready for Max? And I and I started thinking about it and uh, the and one of the things I've always wanted to do um, was talk about Max Bear because you said uh, you're only as good as your competition. You're only as, yeah, a lot of times when we talk about you know yeah that's why we I mean, spend some if you time. beat a bunch of AAA teams, yeah. uh, what's the point? Well, it's, yeah, it's like, well, Joe faced this guy named Max, and nobody knows who Max is. Nobody yeah. knows who Max Bayer is, so what does it matter? You know what I mean? Like, that's the same thing. We, we spent time talking about, you know, when we talked about the Tigers, we talked about how good the Cardinals were, yeah. the Cubs uh, were. Yeah. Um, and we talked about the Lions. We talked about the Bears, what they had to overcome with the Bears. You know, like, you're, it's like it, to bring, you know, you have to show the how good the opponents were in order to really understand how good these teams were. In this case, I want to talk about today about Max Bayer, but more specifically, not just as like to, to say, oh, Max was a great fighter, that's what I want to talk about him i want to talk about him because a lot of along the last 10 years of telling this story whenever i talk about a hey, joe face max it's almost like some a lot of times i almost get cut off by the person i'm talking to yeah because they're like oh the nazi and you uh. know like that because that's the you know a lot of the memory of the biggest memory of joe lewis is mac joe lewis against max schmeling right that nazi fight right yeah, that yeah. didn't happen for that didn't happen until 1938 wow that okay. was three years after this was sure, years sure. after this so this is, you know, so so this, I mean, well, his first fight against Max Schmeling was 36. But what I'm saying, though, is, is that that's a totally different Max. Right. Right? That has nothing to do with this story. And whenever I correct him, he go, no, this is Max Bear. They're like, oh, okay. Uh, you know, like they don't. They oh, still, the Beverly Hillbilly guy. Yeah, but they, well, they, that's well, that's and that's a, that's the next center point of reference. Right, right, like, right, oh right. yeah, this is uh, you know Jethro Bodine from the Beverly Hillbillies, Max Bayer Jr. This is his dad. Oh yeah, and yeah. they still don't know. I mean, <laughs> nobody. You know what I mean? Like Max Bayer. There's no cred on his boxing ex- prowess. Like, he's a or... forgotten person, really. Right. I mean, there's people that you know. He's not completely forgotten. Let's, but let's he's, fix uh, that. That's what I want to do. I want to talk <laughs> about Max. And 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 there's also some rehabilitation of his, of who he was that needs to be underdone because mm-hmm. he was incredibly misrepresented in the movie Cinderella Man. Ah. It's a case that I take up in the book number two, and it's a case that I take up in the screenplay. That's a big is story, there, the Cinderella Man. Cinderella was, Man I mean, is a hundred that, million dollar Hollywood movie with yeah. Russell Crowe. There's yeah, yeah. a huge movie, and then the people and they and made him look like an, he, they made him look like the worst person. They're point the of reference for a lot of people. Yeah, the main it's a mainstream movie, and the Max Bear is the jerk from Cinderella. And then people kind of take that as a biopic. Yeah, they, and they're like, they don't. Well, maybe maybe they took a little like with the screenplay to make it more dramatic. A little license. They made him into a jerk. <laughs> yeah. And Max Bayer Jr., Jethro Bodine, who I like, Beverly Hillbillies are one of my all-time favorite shows. Yeah, I yeah, love yeah, Beverly yeah. Hillbillies. Like, my mom, like, I've spent a considerable time. My mom still, my mom pretends that the Beverly Hillbillies are, are a terrible show. You're like, oh, they're so stupid. I've spent considerable time over the course of my entire <laughs> life trying to make a case to my mom 
just about how f- an amazing of a show it is. Oh, well, me. of all the just as another side note, the, the uh, every you know the 1960s shows, all these shows were fish out of water stories. Like I Dream of Jeannie. Sure, it was Jeannie that was like you know she was a, from a, a lamp and from a different time, and then she's has to amalgamate in the world and she's got to adapt, right? right? right. And then like you know Gilligan's Island. You know that they they're they're fish out of water too. They have to adapt to the island, mm-hmm, right? They have mm-hmm. to like make coconut freaking coconut you know headphones and stuff, and like ride a you know a, a bamboo bike or something. They have to adapt to this situation. But the hillbillies are the only sixties fifties uh, you know fish out of water show where where the fish didn't adapt to the water you know right. to, the, to the land. They the the land adapted to the fish. Right. So they were the fish out of water, but everybody adapted to them because they had the money. You know. Yeah, what I mean? So yeah. I love that show. That's the kind con- that component is was fascinating to me. Of all those shows, it totally stood out. And so <laughs> you see, what I'm saying, and uh, so I that, I love that show for that reason. And Jethro Bodine, of course, one of my favorite characters. Sure. And so I, so when I, I was here's ahead. the thing I love about the show. It totally follows my train of thought, which is insane. Yeah. It's like, no, we're all over the place, but it makes sense, and it makes sense to me. I'm sorry. No, I you're good. Going. No, I mean, we're so, just but, a fun So Max Bear Jr., um, Jeffrey Bodine. That's the son of Max Bear, who we're gonna, who's the right, subject right. of our show So today. was he like going, hey, this this movie was He was crap. pissed. Yeah. He was crap. That's my pissed. dad, man. What the hell? Yeah, he's pissed off. And, he, and that's, right, what, right. that's what's so sad. I try to write him on like Facebook saying, I'm going to help rehabilitate your dad, but he never messes back. But I'm like- because I, I was disgusted too, because I love Max Bayer Senior. I love, I absolutely love Max Bayer Senior. I love him as a boxer. I love him as a man. I love him as a personality. I thought he was amazing, and he's like, in in in, like I say, Max. And when you read the articles where Max Bayer Junior is trying to rehabilitate his dad through like an interview with something like they would, because there was all these after the movie came out, they're interviewing Max Bayer Junior, and they're saying. You know, what do you think? And he's like, what do you mean, what it's do I crap. think? He's like, it sucked. You know, he's like, it, it made my dad look like a jerk. Yeah. And and just to, and just to give an example of, well, I'll, I'll get to that point in a second, yeah, yeah. how bad it was. But but he was like, um, they were like, well, what are you going to do about it? Are you gonna, you have like any kind of like a crusade planned or whatever? And he's like, what can I do? Yeah. He's like, this is a $100 million mainstream blockbuster Hollywood movie. He's like, he goes, I'm the son of the, of the guy who is... I'm the, you know, of course, the son of the character who was made to look terrible is going to be upset about it. He's like, he goes, I already have five strikes against me before I can even try to make a protest. Sure, yeah. He's like, nobody remembers my dad. Nobody remembers any of it. He goes, basically, for the rest of time, my my dad is going to be known as the jerk from Cinderella Man. Oh. And he's like, and there's literally nothing I can do about it except for like, you know, right. complain about it to, you know, whatever random article wants to interview me today. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's like, that's all I can do. And so, um, and so my, that, so, you know, reading this and seeing these different things. And I look, I like Cinderella Man. I love the movie. I thought it was a great movie, but I didn't like the portrayal of Max Bayer. And I wanted, and I've said from the beginning of this thing, really from, the, I mean, from 2008, 2009, that I want to try to do something to rehabilitate, you know, Max Bayer Sr. And if my, and if this movie, the City of Champions movie comes out, you know, not if, when it comes out, right. when it comes out, I wrote Max Bayer in there, the character in there specifically to show who he really was and to show that the truth of who he was is far more fa- far more interesting than the fake than the fake uh uh you know villain that they created for, for the Cinderella man. Let's go find Russell Crowe and kick his butt. 
Well, I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, no, no, I'm not. I mean, no. he, would, he would crush. He would crush me. We'll see. You know, we'll, I'm not trying. I'm not trying to threaten violence on the airways. And I, it wasn't probably his. I am. And it I wasn't, mean. And, and, you know, and it's not necessarily his fault. And the other thing, though, too, is that you know, and the other thing too is, is, and I'm not trying to hate on everybody yeah. that was part of it because sure. I understand. I understand the Hollywood concept. Yeah. I understand yep. how that they have to condense stuff. Mm-hmm. And they have to make things. They have to, you know, for just for easy point. It's an hour and forty five minute movie, so they got to make a villain. You know, an easy sure. to digest villain. I get it. You know, yeah. but that's where. But it starts to end, to come into, you know, to the way that I look at these movies is like, and why this with the city of champions things. Why I haven't spent any more. T- I have not sent my screenplay out to Hollywood right now. I haven't sent this thing out there because I don't want to see my movie. That's not my. It's not necessarily mine, but I don't want to see this city of champions story get Hollywoodized where they take good characters and yeah. good people and turn them into villains unnecessarily. Right. And that's what I mean. Like, I'm, so that's why like, I could have taken like an easy route and just started sending copies all over Hollywood and looking for a buyer, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to take the harder route and keep the integrity of the story in place. That's the number one objective. Like money. Yes. I would like the money. Yes. I would love the money. You know what I mean? I would love to have some money to be able to live off or whatever, but you know, um, integrity is far more important. I, this story was like, I feel like I'm the custodian, like the caretaker of something that these people's voices, you know, they were passed to us through a whisper, yeah. and now we're shouting them again. You see, but we're, but they can no, but they can't fight for themselves anymore, and I'm not, and I'm going to, I'm not going to let it get turned into a crap film where they just use cheap tricks to turn, you know, good people into bad, and you know, use it for polit- politics and. All you know, all kinds of different agendas or whatever they want to do. It's not happening, and I I, I own the copyright for the screenplay of the fi- of the of the of the true story of how Detroit became known as the city of champions, and I am not going to relinquish it until I have it in writing that that the you know that the that the the character are at the very least the character arcs will stay the same. These the good people will not be turned into bad. That's the very baseline foundation of what I'm looking for. For retaining the integrity of the story, so with that being said, you know I want to introduce yeah. Max Barron. Yeah, yeah. Drive so how do we? How does, how does Max tie into Joe's so, yeah, arc so, here in thirty five? So Max was the was the the final boss okay. that Joe had to face in nineteen thirty five. Did he did he hold a championship at some point? Uh, he was the heavyweight championship leading so Max up into thirty five. So Max had it. He at was that the heavyweight time. when Joe fought in Detroit in January. I think it was January fourth. So he's our guy. We got to get the him. Final boss. All right. Yeah. And so January fourth, when Joe fought in Detroit in new, like in you know in the f- first few days of the year in 1935, we talked about the fight, uh, in that we we actually read right out of the screenplay for the people that are, you know remember that episode. Um, we introduced that episode by reading off the screenplay. Well, the character who all the, the the way that I wrote that story was is that Max was antagonizing the crowd in the screenplay. He was like the the fans were like going, "Come on, Max, give us a fight." He was just horsing around. Slapping Babe Hunt around—that was the guy he was fighting. Because Max Bear fought in Detroit as the as the number one draw off in at Olympia Stadium. He was the heavyweight champion. He won the heavyweight championship in 1934. He was the heavyweight champion entering 1935. And in 1935, Joe Lewis fought as an undercard to Max Bear, who was the main draw at Olympia Stadium right. in January. And so, so he, Max Bear was there. So that's the, so this is the opening. Uh, this is the opening shot of the of episode two, 
which is this crowd that's you know furious because Max is just horsing around and <laughs> blowing kisses to yeah, the ladies yeah, yeah, yeah. and whatever. Hey. So he, Max would be akin to like a modern they call him a foil in wrestling, sure. yep. where his goal was to elicit emotion from the crowd. Right. He didn't care if it was good or bad. He just loved that the crowd was riled up. That's <laughs> love, all he cared about. Love me, hate me. Love me or hate me. It's all the as same. As long as you're buying a yeah. ticket again next week. It's all the same. Exactly. <laughs> and, so, and so that was who he was. It, That's it, great. And that, so he was and an, that doesn't make him a villain. Not at all. No. Not at all. And so anyways, so that was That's like. That's a re- rowdy Randy Piper, abs- one of my favorites. And mine too, yeah. Yeah. So he was a, yeah. So that was the sort of role he took. And and, and so anyways. So just a, I'm just want to run down a little, a little bit of his bio, All right, give me, biography. Give me, give me Max. Yeah. So uh, Max Bayer, uh, born in born in uh, 1909 in Omaha, Nebraska. Um, he had uh, two sisters and two brothers. His younger brother Buddy would eventually fight Joe Lewis. Oh. So Buddy Bayer fought Joe Lewis in 1941 and 42. Lost. Nice. I was going to say, guess what? What the results were? <laughs> <laughs> Crushing. Yeah, for the most part. 40, 40, 41, he put up a good fight. 42, he got knocked out <laughs> pretty good. Uh, 1922. Um, uh, the Bayer family moved from Nebraska to California. Uh, 1926, the family settled in, settled in Livermore, which kind of brings up the uh, the title of the show today, which is the Livermore La Rupper, which is was Mac, one of Max Bayer's many nicknames. Um, Joe, uh, his uh, his father was a uh, uh, was like a was a butcher, but 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 not just like worked at a grocery store. He his father actually leased a ranch called Twin Oaks in California in in Livermore. Where he raised, like it says, uh, two thousand hogs. So Max was, so he, wow. he Max credits his physique, which he was an incredibly like chiseled, muscular physique. Six foot chasing two, hogs. Ch- well, carrying carcasses. And oh wow! Yeah, splitting their heads open with axes oh, and stuff. Like, and All was, right, uh, I was like, he's just, a beast. I was chasing your splitting yeah. heads. All right. No, he's a he was a he helped his father in, butcher hogs and carry carcasses. Holy I mean, crap. that's how All he right. got big, you know. Yep. And so, um. So I've got a quote here. You know, since we were kind of do, I've got a, quite a few quotes. So I'm gonna have to just kind of go over them. And um, but these are all in the book. So you're yeah. not. So anybody that wants to see them, um, I've got a great quote on how Maxie became, uh, like how he first, because he was always a gentle soul. He never was wanting to fight really. Yeah. And he was kind of his first real fight. He was baited into it because the in uh, um, Livermore was. Uh, was a uh, like a, they called a cowboy territory. You know, there's all these open ranges with with herds of uh, cows and cowboys. I mean, this is still a cowboy era, and so um, and so there's like they're herding uh, cows in that. And so one day he was bringing a girlfriend to a to a uh, movie date to a, like to go watch a movie in town, and there's this cowboy that that insulted the girl. And the girl was like, he's, she's like, you know, he said something. Hey, you know, whatever he said to her, she it, it riled her up. And so she said, smack him one for me, Maxie, you know, kick his butt. And there was this cowboy, you know, this guy sitting out front, you know, drinking a beer or something. And he's like, he ain't going to do nothing to me. You know, I'm a big tough and tumble cowboy guy. And so Max is and, and Max is like, okay, he's like, yeah, I'm not gonna do anything. <laughs> you know, I'm not I'm not gonna mess with this guy. He's tough, you know, he's a big guy. And she goes, if you don't sock him one for me, Maxie, then I'm not gonna go to the movies with you. Uh-oh. Something like that, right? And so he goes, okay, I'll go sock him away. And so he socked him and knocked <laughs> the guy out in one punch. That's the legend, right? <laughs> and so that and so that and so that kind of that's you know, and that, this is a quote that actually kind of like comes from Max telling the story to a newspaper guy. Um, and he's like, and he, so he's like, it was, at, it was at that moment, you know, that there's, there's always got to be the genesis where he's like, it was at that moment I knew, like, if I could knock people out with one punch, that I might have a future in boxing. And so that's kind of how we got into it. And so, um, 
And so that it, it evolved into, you know, to summarize a little bit of more of my notes here, into what Max's. So the, you know, Max's style. What it became was Max. You know, Joe Lewis. We talked so much about how Jewish like honed his craft. Yeah. You know, with Jack. You know, evolved to Jack Blackbird, and Jack Blackbird's teaching about like use your left, Joe. You know, like feel him out with your left, and then hit him with the right. You know, like all this different stuff. Yeah. Technique, technique. As though Joe, you know, to combine with Joe's overwhelming power. You know, he blended it with such a you know a scientific technique. Max was not that. No, Max was like, I'm gonna take punches. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna work. I'm gonna move in on you. And then when I get my chance, I'm gonna land my Sunday punch. Oh. And that was that cowboy Sunday punch the that he Sunday talked about. Punch. Because it, once he because he, when he hits you with the right, when he hits you with the right, it's out. You're, go, you're, you're not waking up till next Sunday. <laughs> so that's that was the idea. That's the that punch. was Max's Sunday punch. And so, right. and so and so that's the way it was. Was he would take some shots. He would, you know, he you know he had a very basic, you know, very rudimentary style as far as boxing goes. Um, and uh, you know, he would be a little bit more equated to like a to a barroom brawler style of boxing. Mm. And he that he even had. I saw it referenced in some point or another where he had like a backhand punch even where like he would you know he would be like he would catch you off guard with a backhand punch you know with the side of it like almost like a slap with his glove which is has no comparison in 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 our day or theirs like he was the only one i've ever seen that would slap somebody with the side with like you know slap him with his glove so that's like and then he would laugh about it you know he would have a big joke about it and everybody would be all mad about it go what are you doing max you're gonna just slap somebody with your glove so that was you know the kind of stuff he would do yeah and so, uh, so he turned pro in 1928, right? So, the, but this is what's interesting. I'm sorry, uh, 1929 he turned pro, but in, so the incident with that cowboy happened in 1928, yeah. and he's 19 years old. And in 1929 is when he turns pro. Um, I'm sorry, the, the thing with the cowboy happens when he's 18. He's 19 years old, and the very next year, 1929, when he turns pro. So the incident with the cowboy happens in a very short time frame from compared to when he turns pro. So there might have been there really might have been something to that whole cowboy incident where he punches this guy, knocks him out, and then he's like, Hell, I'm good enough to go pro. You know? <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna start going pro. And so he's first so he fights against a guy named uh, Chief Caribou. Chief Caribou. Yeah. So so there's got, nothing uh, ethnically disparaging about that, right? <laughs> yeah. So ba- yeah. So as we were talking about back then, you know, we, like, we we were we were talking about that. That earlier was another thing we were talking about during the show is is that if a Native American before, was yeah. often called Chief as a nickname, yeah. Um, back then, so um, so so he wins his fight against Chief Caribou. He fights. <laughs> he fights in 1929. He fought 16 times, all in California. He only had one, he had one loss, so um, his total fight record was fifteen and one by the end of nineteen twenty nine. Wow! And he's nineteen years old, so he's kind of like with Joe, where Joe fought a ton of fights, in, you know, in his first year. Uh, and so in nineteen thirty, this is the second year, um, there's there's this is when stuff starts to get. Uh, this is when one of the probably the most defining thing that happens to Joe, and this is where we're drifting into our Cinderella Man um, component. So August twenty fifth, nineteen thirty. Uh, Max Bear, and you know he he enters the fight twenty with a record of twenty four and two, and the the fight takes place at a, at a um in a baseball field called the San Francisco Recreation Park. Okay, and so at this fight, um, uh, Max Bayer knocks out a man named Frankie Campbell, but he not only knocks him out, he kills him. Oh, he hits this guy so hard, he beats this guy so hard 
that he that he that Frankie Campbell he never gets up off the mat. Hey. He's taken to the hospital and he dies in the hospital hey, the very hey, next. Hey. Week. So is this, is do you think maybe that is uh, part of where the Cinderella Man? Uh, it's a hundred percent because in the movie he brags about it. Uh, in the movie he's like, I'm gonna kill people. Like he's like this, right, but in right, reality right, right. is it, in he traumatized. Was like, he was like, yeah, it, and it ruined his career. Oh, man. yeah. That's got to set you for yeah. It's so it's so this. I mean the the like I have a bunch of quotes, right? I have a bunch of quotes, yeah. but I we like I said we got to we ran a little bit over it with the baseball card stuff. <laughs> so, but it's in the book. I I, t- I have a several quotes don't, in the don't, book. Don't skip anything because we were well, ranting at the beginning. Yeah, well, but I know we can we can right, get through we'll it. Go. But but what I'm saying is it's like we got, well we got, here, oh, we got all the time. I've in got the world, a sh- man. okay. I've got a short quote here that I, that I can it. read. I got a short I, because yeah. Um, not, don't cheap them out, man. No, no, it's swim around in this. So he, um, so so the uh, I ha- I did like a little quick screen in case I needed to summarize it because there's some longer ones. Yeah. Um, but uh, um, let me just see. It. So it, so because I, I just this I, I just, I'm astounded how reality it, it is it just it just gets so bastardized. Oh, big time! Um, so, so, so here, yeah. so here's the. This, ahead, yep. So this comes. This is a shortened one. This comes off of Wikipedia. Even though I've got another sure, sure. link for it, people that want to follow it to see like a longer story yeah. of it. But this is the Wikipedia is good sometimes because because I've read this and it and it basically lines up with everything that I've read about right. it and the you know for longer segments. But this is a little shorter bit. So uh, Bayer fought Frankie Campbell on August 25th, 1930 in San Francisco in a ring built over home plate at San Francisco's Recreation Park for the unofficial title of Pacific Coast Champion. Mm-hmm. In the second round, Campbell clipped Bear, and Bear sl- slipped to the canvas. Campbell went toward his corner and waved to the crowd. He thought Bear was getting the count. Bear got up and flew at Campbell, landing a right to Campbell's turned head, which sent him to the canvas. Mm. After the round, Campbell said to his trainer, something feels like it snapped in my head, oh. but went on to handily win rounds three and four. As Bear rose for the fifth round, Tilly Kid Herman, Bear's former friend and trainer who had switched camps overnight and was now in Campbell's corner, savagely taunted and jeered Bear. In a rage and determined to end the bout with a knockout, Bear soon had Campbell against the ropes. As he hammered him with punch after punch, the ropes were the only thing holding Campbell up. By the time referee Toby Irwin stopped the fight, Campbell collapsed to the canvas. Bear's own seconds reportedly ministered to Campbell, and Bear stayed by his side until an ambulance arrived 30 minutes later. Oh. So he ba- stayed there with them. Bear visited the nice. stricken fighter's bedside where he offered Frankie's wife, Ellie, the hand that hit her husband. She took the hand, and, and the two stood, stood speechless for a moment. Mm. It was unfortunate. I'm awfully sorry, said Bear. It might have been you, mightn't it, she replied. Like, it could have just very well been him if it just wasn't one more, one more swing the other yes. way. And so at noon the next day, with a lit candle laced between his crossed oh. fingers and his wife and mother beside him, Frankie Campbell was pronounced dead. Upon, upon the surgeon's announcement of Campbell's death, Bayer broke down and sobbed uncons- inconsolably. Brain specialist Dr. Tilton, Til- Tilton E. Tillman declared death had been caused by a succession of blows on the jaw and not by, the st- by any struck in the rear of the head, mm. and that Campbell's brain had been knocked completely loose from his Ooh. skull by Bear's blows. Chimney crickets. So, you so can, there's a picture. We got a picture of Frankie Campbell. Yes, and also uh, and Ernie Schaff. Ernie guy, Schaff. Yes, we'll talk about him in a second. So, but there's a picture, and 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 uh, Frankie's like uh, he's like a freaking supermodel swimsuit underwear looking. Yeah, a lot dude, of these guys are good looking guys, man. They're you know that they're is all, like that yeah, is like all, Studley McStudville. Yeah, yeah. Holy so, crap! So so anyway, so 
the first thing that to, you know the way we want to point with this quote here yeah. is that we're talking about these circumstances. I read another story, which we're going to get to in a minute. It's a Sports Illustrated story from 1978 that I okay. just friggin' that I just absolutely love, and that's and we'll get to it in a second. But right. that's a a more in depth look at it. And in this, they say this is the, the contrast from that Wikipedia, and also from I, say, I actually tend to believe with this guy's Sports Illustrated story more. But the, but what he says is that Max didn't know anything was wrong. In fact, the fight was over. Like he didn't run up and just go, "Oh my God, Frankie, get up, Frankie." It wasn't like necessarily like that either. He like, um, he's like hey, all right, he cool. thought the fight was over and all hey, that, and it wasn't until he what like later on wanted to get a hold of him and that he was like, "There's something wrong." He didn't. He never got up off the ring. And like, oh, so this said he, he was with him. At so there's a couple different 20, versions 30 minutes of the story. There's a, on the mat yes. before the ambulance came, and then this other version yeah, says there's other versions that say it was after the fact. But right. in either case. He was clearly, re- and all the cases agree that he was there at the hospital when he died. Right. All the stories agree that he that his wife that he was you know he was you know offering consoling his, the consoling wife, his wife and, and saying, "My God, it's awful." Yeah, and and then there's another uh, and there's another quote where, um, uh, well, we'll get to this in a second. Yeah. But, but anyway, so so um, so so following the death of Frankie Campbell, oh. uh, Bayer is charged with manslaughter. Oh. And he is acquitted virtually almost immediately. Sure, it's almost okay. like it's like a process thing they yeah. had to go through. He was acquitted, but he was barred from fighting in California for a year. Wow. Um, so yeah, so there, so there's this horrible thing that happens. So, anyways, um, so following, so that just just to kind of warp speed ahead, just a hair. Okay. Uh, a, a, a couple of years later, there's another incident where Ernie Schaff, there's a box named Ernie Schaff. We have a slide for. Yeah. Uh, Bear beat Ernie Schaff. And then uh, Ernie Schaff, six months later, fought Primo Carnera and then died after the Primo Carnera fight. Oh, shit. But, back, but, but he was, like, saying, I don't feel well after the bear fight. So he was having all kinds of problems after the bear fight. And then he fought against – so and then he died after the Primo fight. So some people were like, oh, well, Primo killed him. Yeah. And then they're like, no, Primo just finished off what Max started uh-huh. by his blows, right? Later on, after the fact, it turned out that he died of meningitis. So that had nothing to do with really either one of them. But because Bayer had killed Frankie Campbell, they all lumped that on on Bayer. So yeah. they're like they're saying like Bayer is a man killer, right? Bayer's a man killer. He's killing people in the ring. So this is now where we have to bring up the Cinderella man because right. in the movie, they're, they 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 not they 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 talk about how. You know, they to to to, to you know to, to drive the audience, you know, to scare the audience, make sure, the audience yeah. realize how tough Max Turn him Bear into is. A villain and they say that he's a that he's killed two men in the ring, and then so so here's uh, James Braddock watching film on on Max Bear's you know killing two people in the ring, you know, and they're like, here's Max killing. Uh, uh, Ernie Schaff yeah, and Frankie yeah. Campbell, like, look how his, you know, he's dead before he hits the canvas. You know, like, he's, like, watching film, and his wife's going, you can't fight him. Right, right, James right, Braddock, right. you can't fight him. He's going to kill you. I'm going to lose my husband. You know, yeah. like, that's the drama for the thing. Sure. And then the worst bit is, and that's, I, okay, that's understandable. You want to you want to say, okay, this is the case. That's I don't, I don't have any really objections with that. The objection comes in, and one of the most, uh, really the most sickening scenes in the history of sports cinema, mm. which is that James Braddock's wife, is sitting at a dinner table, right? And Max Bayer comes into the restaurant and says to her, "After I kill your husband in oh. the ring, I'm gonna. You can come shack up with me." I too many crickets. Which is one of the most despicable. Like if there's like it's designed purely to make you detest Max Bayer. It's designed completely to say he is a villain and a horrible person, 
and we need and we hate him. That's, I mean, that's the only you know. It's designed to create a villain right. who the do the protagonist of the movie. You now it's now Vanquish, and everybody can feel a, a you know a a warm satisfaction at such a horrible person being bested in the ring. You see, yeah. that's what that's what the entire com- component is. The reality is, as we saw from his outpouring of grief, that, that how tormented he was. Right, that from that's from just the very beginning. Well, I'm going to read another. I'm going to read another counterpoint, and this is from Max Bayer Jr. But I've read, but there's many other stories of this from people that knew Max Bayer Sr. There's other stories of this that will that will that are that will speak to the exact same thing that uh, that um, that uh, Max Bayer Jr. is saying in 2007 in a story called Mad Max, an interview with Mac, Max Bayer Jr., which is talking about how angry he was about this from the Los Angeles Times. Yeah. So this is Max Bayer Jr. That's cool. This Bayer Senior wept profusely at the hospital where Campbell died hours later. His son, his son says, Max Bayer Jr. says, and again at Campbell's funeral, he apologized to Campbell's widow. He also took part in a charity charity boxing match, donating all proceeds to Campbell's family. Nothing, however, could assuage his guilt. Years later, Bayer Senior would bolt awake at night, sweating and muttering, "You're okay. Please be okay." Bear Sr.'s recurring nightmare was always the same. His son says, a man lies prone on a canvas, and Bayer Sr. tries in vain to revive him. I felt as if I never wanted to see a boxing glover enter a ring again, Bayer Sr. recalled. Years later, in an interview with Nat Fleischer, editor of The Ring magazine, my enthusiasm for the game had gone. What I wanted was to get away from California, go somewhere else, and try to forget. Does that sound like somebody no. that's going to be bragging in yeah, a no. restaurant no. and saying, I'm going to kill your husband, and then, then I'm going to have sex with you or whatever. Yeah. That's a horrific portrayal of somebody who was racked by guilt and not only racked by the guilt of it, yeah. but it also, as we're going to see here, wrecked his career. Oh. Okay. Because over the next four of his next six fight, he lost four of his next six fights mm. up until that point, up until that Frankie Campbell fight, he had a 24 and three record, yeah. right? He had four losses in his next six fights. So were the, because the guy couldn't cope with the fact that he just killed a guy in the ring. Right, right, yeah, and I mean Joe was right on the cusp of that because Joe had a close call early yes. in his career. Yes, Jamie, he and did. that that could have been a turning point. Absolutely, could have made or break. Joe what, said, "If he doesn't get up, I'm never fighting again." Right, right, right. Because Joe wasn't a killer either. You know yes. what I mean? There's this. There's the side. You know, Joe. They even Black Bream said Joe's a manufactured killer. He's not a natural born killer. He had to, you know because Joe was a genuine nice guy, and so was Max. Max was a genuine nice guy too. As a quote, we're going to read here in a second. We'll show yeah. how nice of a guy he was. But but in this case, he was he was tormented by what he what what had happened in the ring. I'm just looking at the young picture. You have a young Max in here. He's a beast. Um, yeah, I love just, that shot. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's great, a fantastic it's a shot. Great yeah, shot. yeah. So anyway, so he he lost so so now so but what the, so but there's it so so now after losing four of his next six fights, Max has got a twenty six and seven record, and so it's at this point really it's nineteen thirty one. Yep. Uh, Max gets married. Um, he Jack uh, Jack Dempsey sort of enters the Jack Dempsey the former heavyweight you know the Manasseh Mauler one of the great boxers of all times Jack Dempsey he enters the picture and he realizes how good Max is uh-huh. and he starts to kind of offer a little bit of like a support structure for him like to try to cope mentally you know like there's no real 
boxing psychologist is going to help you get through how you know you just killed a guy in the ring yeah. how are you going to get through it like i'm going to go talk to this boxing psychologist that you know there's is none so he goes so jack dempsey enters the picture and he sort of you know picks max up and it's like dude this is your profession this is what you do right you know what i mean like he tries to help him straighten some stuff out and with that being the case you know a combination of these factors max goes on and starts to sort of turn his career around he wins his next 12 fights oh Okay. Um, he does go into you know the whole thing with Ernie Schaff, um, you know with where Ernie you know he like nobody directly blamed Max Bear for it. And it came out that he had meningitis anyway, so so it, you know, it wasn't directly blamed for it, but yeah. um, you know there was loosely affiliated with that. Um, and then so in 1933, he's making his way up the chain. There's Primo Carnera as the heavyweight champion in 1933 at this moment. Max Schmeling is sort of the next in line. You know we talk about we mentioned Max Schmeling, the, the Nazi supposedly, you know the idea. Uh, he was a German. He wasn't a Nazi, um, but actually, but Max, but Max Schmeling uh, was a player in the world at this time in the world of boxing. And so Bear had to face Schmeling in order to get to Carnera. And this is another case in point to demonstrate why that Max was not a braggart of a man killer, right. as they portrayed in Cinderella Man. And so here, so here's the quote right here. Right. Um, so when he was when he was beat, he was fighting Schmeling. Schmeling, and so this is a quote. This comes from 1934, June 25th, 1934, from the Detroit Times by a writer named Don Gardner. So Schmeling went down, but he was up at the count of eight. He staggered dizzily toward the ropes. The now savage bear bore down on him with a rat-tat-tat of blows. The one-time champion wobbled and grabbed the ropes. On came Bear, still flailing out his powerful punches. Then he turned to the referee, Arthur Donovan, crying out, Mr. Donovan, please stop the fight. I don't want to kill him. I don't want to kill him. Oh. Then the right hand of Maxi Bear was raised again on high as a symbol of victory. And again, he had begged a referee to stop a fight for fear of killing a man. Oh. So he's sitting there telling the ref to stop the fight for the guy he's supposed to be pummeling. Call this. Yes, right. there's, num- there's numerous examples. Numerous examples where he said, notice in the article where it says, again, he stopped the fight himself. How can you proceed as a boxer? When when that 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 killer instinct edge that you, that you it does not exist with yeah. you anymore, right? It's gone at this, right? And so he's got you know he's good at I mean, he's he's but he's such an incredible talent. He's still rising up the chains of the boxing world despite having this like you know this conflicting you know you know psychological barrier. And so so that's the smelling fight. His his next his very next fight comes. Uh, actually, it's a it's it's a, it's a full year okay. um, when he gets a chance. That it is really it's his next fight. He only fought one year. That if he gets divorced in 1933, and that's when he really becomes Maxie the Playboy, the man about town. Um, like he starts to be in like movies, and he starts Maxie to be Maxie the Playboy. Yeah, so he's doing all this. Like he's he's becoming more. He's becoming a celebrity personality. All right, Mad Cat so, Max, right? Yeah, exactly. We got a couple photos for I that too. Yeah. So he's becoming. He's just becoming famous because of his smile. Because he's a you know he's doing movies. He's just a personality. He's a he's a sportsman. And so in June, 1934, June 14th, he, he he fights Primo Carnera and he TKOs him. He knocks Primo down 11 times oh. for the title, and Max has now got a 40 and seven record. Um, and so he and, and now he's the heavyweight champion of the world. He's almost like Bucko. Yeah, eating them steaks and being whimsical, yeah, but getting on the ice totally, and being the dude. Totally, man. totally. If I in fact probably whatever I can in, 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 yeah, sure. whatever I can invoke Bucko. Well, and you're not wrong. We'll in fact, Bucko was probably the nearest comparison. Max was a <laughs> Max was a fun-loving guy. He was, right. this, you know, he was like he loved to play the foil. He loved to do, you know, he was an actor. He was, he was an entertainer. And so, um, so anyways, and so, and then the, and then, um, 
we talked about early 1935 where he, where he fights in Olympia Stadium. He's the, he's the main draw in where Joe Lewis is the under underdraw. Like, he doesn't mm. fight Joe. He fights, but Joe is, like, on an undercard. And Max is the main draw. And he's basically just screwing around during the whole fight. Everybody's all mad at him. He doesn't knock out Babe Hunt. He doesn't do anything. He's just, you know, driving the crowd insane. Yeah, yeah. And, so, um, so, and then we also mentioned how Joe is, you know, he's about to fight Primo Carnera himself. And he's got to fight Primo in order to get a chance at James, in order to get at Max Bayer's title. Unfortunately, we talked about how, how in the Cinderella Man fight, which is what we're talking about here too. Yeah. June thirteenth, nineteen thirty-five, as Joe is preparing for his fight against Carnera on June twenty-fifth, he's at the fight and what watches James Braddock get beat by Max, or I'm sorry, uh, James, watches James Braddock beat Max Bear. Ah. So Max Bear loses his title. You know, he, Joe Lewis thinks that if you know if he, he Joe is training for Primo with an eye on Max Bear fighting sure. Max Bear for the title a couple months later, but now Bear loses the title to James Braddock, and so now he doesn't have the belt. There's a whole another hierarchy of, of yeah. So now everything switches. Yeah. So now he's still got to fight Max Bear, but now he's got to fight Max without the title. Yeah. And so um so now uh you know so so anyways yeah so now um. Uh, so actually, right at this moment, right around this time, we that that quote I read, you know, out of out of the just a little bit ago. Yeah. That um, I, here's this is an interesting thing. In in February, it mentioned the exhibition fight that Max fought for, you know, to raise money for the widow of Frankie Campbell, right? Yes. Yes. Well, check this out. February fifteenth, nineteen thirty-five. Mm-hmm. Okay. The uh, Max Bear he fought that exhibition for his for that widow. While he was the heavyweight champ. Oh. Okay? Yeah. So as the heavyweight champion, he fought Stanley Pareda, who's a ranked fighter. We talk, He's come up in our story with Joe. Stanley Pareda. Max Baird fights an exhibition against Stanley Pareda as the heavyweight champion of the world. And that was the money he gave to the widow. Oh, okay. As the, the heavyweight championship draws are big gates. Right, right. He gave that money to his widow, and they set up, and, and with the money from that, they set up a trust fund for Cam- Frankie Campbell's wife and his kids and that from the fight that he fought against Stanley Pareda. Because Joe is getting like 50000 60000 yeah. for for winning these these uh, the, the, these undercard, almost yeah. undercard fights. Yeah, undercard fights. And he's the and this is the heavyweight champion fighting yeah. these. As a, he so. donates all the money from this fight just to start a foundation, a trust for the widow of Frankie Campbell. Does this sound like a guy who was bragging about killing a guy? No. On his way up. So, so if the movie would have you believe that this is the case – Right? Yeah. He fights an exhibition on February of nineteen thirty five in which he's given all the money from the exhibition to Frankie Campbell's widow, right? Yeah. And inserting a trust fund for her. And then a month later, as he's preparing for James Braddock, he's going to a restaurant and telling him that he's gonna kill <laughs> James Braddock and sleep with the guy's wife. Yeah, yeah. Because he's you know, because he's killed so many people in the past. Yeah, Does that yeah, sound yeah. like a no. natural flow of events to different, you? Different, different mine either. Different dude. Yeah, a totally different guy. Yeah. And so as I'm saying there's so many examples of the fallacy of that but. component. You you get these these biopics and the, you know, people take them as people take all that stuff as fact. That's, but the worst thing is about these bio, these biopics or bio, biopics, uh, the, 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 whatever the, you want to call it, 
The worst thing is the, is that the, ans- be- the ancillary, the the side people, the ancillary, not a really ancillary, but the side people. Yeah, but they market they, the story as a true story. Right, right. And it's not. And it's, the thing, the thing is about it is, well, the majority of it's true. You got a lot of factual stuff in there that sure. James Braddock won the heavyweight championship. A cursory. It look. happened on Earth. It was a true. cursory <laughs> look. You know, whenever I watch a history movie, it happened on this planet. Yeah, well, a lot of it's true. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. It was a. Gr- I thought it was actually a really great movie. I, yeah. I actually enjoyed the movie. Yeah. But the sad thing is, then is you, that the, then when you start doing the this casualty, research, you're like, holy crap! The casualty of the movie is Max. Bayer, right. who is like nobody else, like who is out there besides his own son, of course. Saying, who's hey, believe his son. This My is dad crap. wasn't a bad guy. Like right. who's of course the son of the guy's sure. gonna say that. But you know what I mean? But like I say, once well, the movie, and now you, Charles. Well that's Thank now you. us, hopefully, Jamie, and hopefully that's anybody us. listen to the show. You know, and hopefully whenever when we put our movie out and we show Max who he really was, nice. you're gonna see the real Max Bayer in a, in a I mean, this is one of the signature Hopes of this movie right. is to is the rehabilitation of Max Bear of who he really was, and I'm telling you, if we achieve that goal, with and this he's movie, not even a Detroit guy. No, he's not. But it's but right is right, fair is fair. All right. And I'm not, you know, like I say, I'm not. You know, like, no, we're, I'm we're, mad we're, as hell, and I ain't gonna take it anymore. Right. <laughs> it is. So, anyways, uh, how much longer we got this show? I don't know. What time? How long have we been doing a show? It's it's about fifty-five minutes, I think. We've been. We're done. It's about right. I got a little time for one more. Uh, This is the quote I really wanted to get to. All right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Dude, so there's a a podcast. We could go as long as we want. That's true. That's true. It's it's my mom's still listening. Okay, great. Thanks for hanging on, mom. Yeah, it's. uh, you know, she might have listened in two parts. She might have paused and yeah. come back, but she's listened all the way through. So, so there's this tr- there's this great article. It's uh, I think it's just a phenomenal job. This yeah. is the guy. It's it, but it was a Sports Illustrated article. It came out in 1978. All right, and you can. It's a very easy search. I mean, it's it's uh, it's a very, really easy search to find it. It's a Sports Illustrated article called "Send in the Clown." Oh, and it's um, and the, the sort of subtitle is Max Bayer could bust them up with the with a right hand and then and then break them up with laughter. But his career was overshadowed by tragedy. Mm. So that's the, so you could feel fine by just looking up "Send in the Clown." Anybody that wants to read a great story, not Wikipedia, not I mean, I have to go buy some obscure book on Max Bear. Not sure what to read. This guy, like, he comes across as though he like knew Max Bear because he certainly has a hell of a lot of quotes from people that did. And so he had some kind of inside. I mean, this guy spent a lot of time. This is I mean, this is this takes some time to read. This isn't okay. just some like couple page article about a guy that's you know he's just kind of trying to fill some space. Oh, yeah. This was this this is in depth. This is a majorly in depth article, and it's okay. one of these articles that may have, the entire magazine may have been devoted to this one particular thing because wow, okay. it's a uh, tremendous yeah, a article. Yeah, okay. It takes a little time to read, but it is a very well written article on Max Bear and helps clear up some of these fallacies. Absolutely, right, absolutely. Good. It's a fen- it's a phenomenal. I mean, he doesn't even know about the movie Cinderella Man at this point. He's yeah. just writing an article about Max Bear. Okay. Um, just trying to say about how he was sort of like a you know the you know you know nobody really you know just a guy that's worth remembering right and so so there's no way I can we can read this entire thing so really I just wanted to read the intro and then hopefully pique your interest enough to to go and read on more what's that I mean? lead what's so, that lead so the so the again the head of the article it's a Sports Illustrated uh, archives article um, but you can find it very simply by googling "send in the clown" and then Max Bear. Okay. Uh, or "send in the clown" and then the, the author of the article, his name is his name is Ron Fimright. Mm. Uh, the the last name is so Ron R O N and then the last name is spelled F I M R I T E. It was published in March twentieth of nineteen seventy eight. Absolutely, absolutely worth the read if you have a chance to read it. Okay. 
Um, and so I'm just going to read it right off the first few paragraphs of it. So he had few qualifications for his job. He did not emerge snarling with resentment from a ghetto, nor was his childhood lost in the bowels of some small coal mine or steel mill. He was predominantly German on his father's side of the family, Scotch-Irish on his mother's, but, but no ethnic fires flamed in, in his far-from-savage breast. Although in, his, the, in the latter stages of his boxing career, he wore the Star of David on his trunks, mm. he was only a quarter Jewish by virtue of a paternal grandfather. He was reared on farms by parents so loving that the children kissed them goodbye before journeys no more venturesome than to the town pharmacy. He was such a timid youngster that he refused to fight when challenged by his schoolmates, sending forth his older sister as surrogate belligerent. By his own recollection, he did not hit another person until he was in his late teens, and then not in anger but in self-defense. Boy and man, he sought only to amuse. He seems, like Sabatini's Scaramouche, to have been born with the gift of laughter in the sense that the world was mad. But ab- above all else, he was a lover, not a fighter. Mm. That such a man should have become heavyweight champion of the world and a principal in some of the ring's bloodiest conflicts, including one, purportedly two, that brought about the death of an opponent, is one of the most remarkable paradoxes in the history of sport. In all probability, there, ha- there never has been a fighter so contradictory in nature as Max Baer, and this is written with full knowledge that Muhammad Ali is equal parts jester and assassin. Forty years before Ali occupied center stage, Max Baer was entertaining and confounding ringsiders with routines that seemed more appropriate to musical comedy than to the squared circle. Unlike Ali, Bear was invariably the butt of his own japery, and if he was not, in the, and if he was not the fighter Ali was, or Ali is or was, he could, as they say, sure bust you up with a right hand. Fighting at a time when only the most pedestrian of journalists addressed pugilists by their given names, Bayer accumulated more nicknames than any fighter before or since. It is a tribute to his infinite variety that he was the Livermore LaRupper, the Livermore Butcher Boy, Madcap Maxi, the LaRupping Lothario of pugilism, the pugilistic poser, the, the clouding clown, the playboy of pugilism, and the fistic harlequin. He provided lively newspaper copy, for he was the most quotable of boxers, in all likelihood the most quotable of athletes. When ex-champion Jack Dempsey, working in Bear's corner during his fight with Joe Lewis, advised him not to worry because he hasn't hit you yet, kid, Bear turned dolefully to Dempsey and through bloodied lips replied, that you better keep an eye on Arthur Donovan, the referee, because somebody in there is beating the hell out of me. Still, as many fans and, and newsmen as Bayer delighted, he antagonized an equal number. For those who took seriously this most serious of all sports, Bayer was outrageous. He had a magnificent six-foot-two-and-a-half-inch, six 210-pound physique with airplane-width shoulders, a broad chest, a 32-inch waist, and long, smoothly muscled arms. He could take a punch as well as, as any heavyweight, and there, and there are those who say he hit harder with a right hand than anyone who ever fought. When it was fashionable among fight people and to sculpt in, imagine, in, in imagination the composite boxer, Lewis's jab, Dempsey's left hook, etc., the right hand was invariably Bears. He seemed to do his road work on nightly dance floors, and his sparring was, was mostly verbal. His training camps in boxing tradition, hideaways as free of merriment as Montserrat, were like Borscht circuit resorts, with Max's social chairman. Against the fiercest opponents, he often fought indifferently and with the detachment of one reviewing a performance instead of performing. Did the people enjoy it? He would inquire after the battle. In 1935, Bear lost, lost his championship to the Cinderella man, mm. James J. Braddock. 
a 10 to a 10 to 1 underdog in one of the biggest upsets in ring history. He clowned through much of this desultory bout, grimacing in imitation of the movie tough guy, hitching up his pants, chatting amiably with ringside spectators. After one glancing Braddock blow, he performed a rubber leg dance that Chaplin might have envied. All the while, the plodding, desperate challenger, fresh off the relief rolls, was collecting the points that would win him boxing's richest prize. Oh. As if the comedy in the ring were not enough, Bayer could josh about the defeat afterward. Complaining that he had been literally handicapped. He had injured his right hand in training, he quipped. My punches hurt me more than they did Braddock. But then this is the final couple paragraphs here. Yeah, yeah. But there were occasions when Bayer looked as if no man alive could survive in the ring with him. Max, Schme- Max Schmeling was among the finest of heavyweights, an ex-champion, later as the first conqueror of Joe Lewis. On June 8, 1933, in the searing heat of Yankee Stadium, Bayer knocked out Schmeling in the 10th round of a fight that earned the winner a chance of the title. Schmeling went down in the final round with a picture-perfect right that left, that left him squirming on the canvas. He regained his feet, but the fight was quickly stopped. Bayer won the championship easily, knocking down Primo Carnera 11 times in 11 rounds before the fight was halted. Even with so much in the line, he remained, ma- he remained Madcap Maxi, remarking to the champion after he had been dragged down by him after an exchange, last one up as a sissy. Max hated fighting, says Mary Ellen Bayer, his widow. How he ever hit anybody, I'll never know. He wouldn't even strike his own children. All he wanted to do was entertain people. I can't imagine a person as soft as he was becoming champion of the world. He was so kind. He had no mean streak at all. He was, he was one lovable bastard, said Tom Gallery, who promoted some of Bayer's fights in the Los Angeles Olympics in the last Los Angeles Olympic in the early 1930s. He's the last person you'd ever expect to be a fighter. Why, he'd be clowning around 10 minutes before a fight. But, oh, what he could have been. Wow. So I just love that. That introduction yeah. is phenomenal. The entire article is absolutely worth reading. It's worth the time. But that last line is really, uh, is really the, you know, the kicker where he says, but, oh, what a fighter he could have become. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, it's like because the rest of the they, they spend a lot of time talking about, you know, about the effects of that Frankie Campbell death. Sure. And, and so in Bear, what you find is, you know, and we're trying to kind of build up to like his fight against Joe Lewis. You know, he lost his fight. You, you, clearly in that intro, how he talks about how he's guys clowning around in his championship game fight against James Braddock is this hungry tiger yeah. who's just spent 30, you know, like, you know, he's like doesn't have enough money to buy milk for his kids. Yeah. You know, all the guys like, you know, fighting with the with the with the, you know, the tenacity of a caged bear or a cornered tiger or something, you know? I mean, the guy's fighting with every juice he's got left, and bears screwing around, blowing kisses to girls in the crowd, you know? So, I mean, it's like, it's it's so, um, so that's what they're saying, though, is that, is there was a, you know, there was a, you know, despite, I mean, what 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 they get at repeatedly is, if you know what if he had not killed Frankie Campbell? Sure. What if that fighting would have been his obsession, and he had not had this hesitancy of becoming this? We may not have had things. Joe. We might not have had Joe. Exactly. Like, Joe, I mean, Joe had a nice career became, to this point. But look what Joe eventually became. Right. Right. Had imagine if that Frankie Campbell's moment for Joe had happened. Sure. And Joe would have been tentative for the rest of his sure. life. We might not have even heard of him. Right. But you know, but what if Max was you know like what if Max was cut out to be. What you know to on a level that's like the next Jack Dempsey or the next Joe Lewis, whatever. I mean, he was still huge. He was massive. He was yeah. heavyweight champ, and he was one of the best fighters of his era. And he did it while screwing around in the ring, and not even you know like when he's we talking about training. He's like 
you know, he's like screwing around. He's going to the bars and he's like taking training lightly and all this kind of thing. Yeah. You know, he's like, that's what I'm saying. Like, and he said, like, but oh, what he could have become. Right. He could have become like the best fighter ever. But in his moments where he was focused, where he was concentrating all this, he's a, he's one of the best of all time. Sure. He's he's listed right here, um, like he, the, the, in the when, the when they talk about rankings. Yeah. Um, Max Bear is ranked number twenty of the. This is by Ring Magazine that came out in nineteen ninety eight. So maybe it's changed since yeah, then. Yeah. But in as of nineteen ninety eight, he was ranked number twenty of the fifty greatest heavyweights in boxing history. Yeah. Right. In nineteen same same Ring Magazine nineteen ninety eight. He was ranked number 22 of the top 100 hardest punchers of all time. And actually, this is, um, yeah, this, so yeah, that's, that's 1998. So, um, uh, actually, no, I'm sorry, that one, the hardest punches of all time, that was 2003. Okay. So as of 2003, he's ranked number 22 of the hardest, uh, 100 hardest punches of all time. Ooh. And it's because of that, you know, right-handed Sunday punch. Because he caught you with this, I'm saying, like, he catch you with that Sunday punch. Sure. He's knocking you literally into next week. You know, yeah. and that's uh, yeah. and that's what so this is what Joe is gearing up for. That's kinda you know like you know we want to talk about the redemption of Max and we want to talk about this um you know this about that element. But I, I also want to like kind of end off talking about how you know this is a guy that Joe is facing who is a paradox. Right. You know where Primo is like this giant of a man and he's trying to, to you know do what he's trying to win and of course all this stuff. You know, Max is a paradox, and Joe didn't know what he was going to get out of Max in this case. He's got, you know, he, on one side, he can get, you know, the, you know, the, the, the boxing Harlequin, you know, the mad, you know, madcap Maxie, where he's screwing around and joking around and stuff and taking it lightly like he did against uh, James Braddock. On the other side, he could, he could catch one of Max Bear's rights. A guy who's just a natural born talent. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, that natural talent might show up this night and Max might be focused and that overhand right catch Joe off guard and send Joe Lewis in the, in the next Sunday. Yeah, we were for both. Exactly. Yeah. So that's what Joe's facing. And this, you know, the fight that's going to eventually, eventually come, we're going to talk about the leading up to it. There's a lot of stuff that leads up to it in the next episode. But, um, but that's, but that's what's Max Bayer, Max Bayer Sr. Is an absolutely fascinating character, and again, I highly once again the article that I really advise you to read if you have a chance, if you, you really want to you know dive a little bit more into Max Bear, tremendous article. Send in the cloud. I'm sorry, send in the clown. A sport, Sports Illustrated article written in 1978, um, really worth the read, and, yeah. um, and, and it dives into. There's so. He, this is a guy who lived an incredibly so, but in the book, colorful life. Yeah, I mean, you were only able to like skim across this in the book. Mm. You know, I mean, we but did. But I did a special section on you Max did. in the book. There's three you did. these blue pages here. Oh, you got three pages on yeah, Max. Yeah, so these. So anytime oh, you do have a, like yeah. a good chunk. Yeah, so that whenever you see these gray pages, yeah, these yeah. are all special sections. Right, right. So there's a three-page special section. It takes you away section. from 1935 in the in the Detroit. It's all three. A little bit. Well, it's no, it's all. This is. I mean, it's right in the place where Joe's about to face Max right, you know, right. in the main section. Of the but book. what sets the stage for that for the Detroit aspect of it, right? Yeah. Right, well, right. Well, yeah, there's this the Detroit but like well, I'm going to put this picture in the next one like there's Joe and you know he's going to he's in training for Max Bayer and Mickey Co- you know he's sitting there you know trading fake punches with Mickey Cochran. Nah. This photo this is taken a week before the fight. Wow. You know there's a where if a viewer can't see it, we'll show it on the next yeah, video. Yeah. Um I don't have that picture for you there but Yeah, um, yeah, we'll get it. But it's got Joe in a suit, you know, out of the Yankee game. He's in New York getting ready for Max, Max Bayer and and you know he's Mickey's the Tigers are in New York to play the Yankees, and Joel's like trading these little shadow punches with Mickey, you know. And it's like I mean, like this, you know, all this stuff comes together, 
And, you know, and the story of Max Bayer is another fiber in this tapestry. Right. This just incredibly, you know, this incredible tapestry of this story that is just unlike any sports story ever told. You know, and like Max Bayer, you know, when I'm telling the story to people at art shows and stuff like this, you're like, hey, you know, Max, such as they're like, oh, Max Schmeling. You're like, no, Max Bayer, the other okay. Max. Yeah, you know, yeah. the, the, the guy that knocked Schmeling out, you know, earlier on, a couple right, of years right. before that. And so it's like, so I just, uh, I'm, I'm just grateful to have be able to do this show, and to take an episode and talk about a guy like Max Bayer, who sure. I just have, have the just the greatest respect for, and, mm-hmm. um, and I wrote him into the screenplay like that, and, um, and, and I, like I say, it's if you know, it's it is one of the highest goals of the screenplay and of these books to rehabilitate yeah. the in the public image, the public perception. Of who Max Bayer Senior really was, I like it. and so um, I mean, you know, maybe hopefully we've taken a, a step in that direction tonight. So cool. All right, so uh, thanks everybody for being with us. Like, subscribe, leave a comment, collect. Uh, I don't know, whatever, whatever it is, wherever you are, wherever five thumbs podcasts up. are Hit that sold. Thumbs up, click, click. That's There's it. like little little that button image you bring up on the screen where it's like they show the little thumb click yep, the button. Yep. Ring the bell, all yeah. that stuff. Click man. the thumb, hit the subscribe. You know, we so, love to, thanks, know. Charles. Thanks for uh, and, and thanks to everybody who uh, has contributed and supported oh, you I, I, to yeah. this point. Yeah, uh, we mentioned that earlier. Um, and, and and a few new aspects. I still owe some people some money, about, ah. but they know the money's coming. I'm good for it, man. We're Come working in. on. It. We're working on. Not it. to their credit, none of them have ever harassed me over any of the money. I still I still owe people. I've, I'm still paying them back in small little nuggets whenever I get a chance. You know this like we we've never this 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 whole project. This is uh, you know we've there's never been any money that like real like I've had never had any you know all the backers have been family and friends and people and like this and. All the, the the only reason I'm even in business today is because of because this story resonates with people like the lady I talked to in the store today in the in the mall I was working at Twelve Oaks today, and the lady just loves the story. She thinks her husband's gonna get a kick out of it. I've literally gone from book sale to book sale to book sale. I like I said, we met twelve years. Yeah, we've been doing this for uh, like a, a little yeah. over a year. Yeah, um, I met you like a good five years ago. Yeah. And you left an impression with me Let's, about uh, this story, about how passionate you were about this story. I was like, I got to talk to this guy again. I wonder if he's still out it there. It was great. It was really cool when you messed with me. I've met a lot of people along the way, Jamie, honestly, that um, yeah. that have said, like, let's do this. Let's do that. I love this story. And it's always been BS, dude. <laughs> it's always been BS. We we head down a path and nothing ever comes out. Uh, here we are in the padded walls. But I've always but happen. I've always given everybody the benefit of the doubt. I always try. I always yeah. roll with them for a minute, you know, and see what happens and then nothing ever comes out of it. But with you it's it's been fantastic. It's Man, been, it's I, been I, great. I've I enjoyed totally, every minute of it. Yep. And yeah. we're here. I love every you know, every time we get to hang out in the padded walls. I love it, yeah. With we our some shirts drinks, with dude, the long sleeves yeah, on yeah, it. We we're good, out. man. Yeah, no, it's been great. <laughs> That's what I mean. Like, um I yeah, I'm just I just love telling the story. I love being able to actually focus on on, you know, dive into some depth on stuff like the Max Bear and stuff, and I'm just I'm, th- I'm just absolutely thrilled that you that you love it too because yeah. I, I think once you get bit by the bug of this City of Champions story, it's just you know it's just a fascinating story. Yeah. I mean, it's and it's not like in, in, the, in the the interesting thing is one you know of the many things is that nobody knows about it. Nobody knows about it. Right? No. So it's like you're hearing it right now. You're here. This is the only place you're getting any of this information. Yeah. This is not like it's like we're just like talking about some story that a thousand other people have rehearsed and regurgitated. We're just kind of taking different slant. This is the only place outside of these books yeah. that you're going to hear about any of this stuff. And so we're, we're bringing a, a, with the greatest sports story 
like I say, I always talk about this is the greatest season of all time. I make a case for it in the, with the with all these books. Um, but this, but I think this is the greatest sports story ever told. I mean, how I'm can it be better? I just, I can't. I yeah, guess. and so this is the only place you're going to hear it from. And so I, and I thank the viewer. I thank everybody who's you know that's interested. I thank every single person who's ever bought a book and allowed me to go from. I mean, I've had I've had weekends where I was driving to an art show in like Kalamazoo, wow. right? And I had to stop at an art show that was a two hour show in the middle of the state. And if I didn't sell a book. Well, I didn't have enough gas to get all the way to the other side of the state. Oh. Like that's how it's been. Like for literally from this from the last eleven. I'm not even wow. trying. To, it's not even being dramatic. Yeah. This is how it's been for twelve years. Is literally like book to book to book. You know, sales yeah. like just trying to you know take you know get get through another week and another week and another week. You know, and it's like, but I just feel like this. Um, this is you know you know you say like oh you're you got a lot of excitement or whatever. And it's like I'm all in. Yeah, I'm all in, man. I'm all in. I sold my baseball cards. I sold my. <laughs> I cleaned out my retirement a long time ago. I cleaned out my retirement account. You know, uh, like yeah. I don't even remember what what you know what, anything about it really. Yeah. It was so long ago. You know, and it's like I'm all in. So I mean, it's like if you can't get excited about something you're all in with, like you know, what can you get excited about? <laughs> well, I'm in, and I'll be back in again next time. And uh, we're, we'll, be, we'll be back when Joe and Max face each other, right, next time, right? Well, remember, we're going to leave off with them. We're not, we're not going to talk oh, about the main event. That's the main event. Oh, that's, that's the main the event. That's the main event of Joe's year. He's the oh, final boss. okay. He's the so final we, got, boss. we got a little bit to lead we're to We're going to lead all the way up to the day of the fight and all leave right. the viewer listening and waiting more because I want to – have all the the final bosses of sure, all the different sure, teams. Sure, sure, sure. We didn't do the final game of the series. Tigers, we didn't Lions, do the, or Red all right. Wings. We didn't do it okay. off any of them. All right. You know, we left off with the Red Wings yes. where they just gave up with the rabbit's foot on the back of the goal where they had the miracle comeback. Right. Four goals in Holy uh, crap. two minutes, you know, and it's, so we left off there. So, we, you know, we that, you know, there are all these, you know, that's and that's how I wrote the screenplay was the final episode. You get to see all of them and things because if there's too much time that spans between, like if we would have already talked about the Tigers' last game in the World Series, that was like a year ago. My God, yeah. So it doesn't have the same impact because they all happened. They all happened in rapid a, fire, rapid too. fire. You yeah. know, within a, with you know the Tigers won in early October, the December, the, the Lions won uh, in mid December, and then uh, the Red Wings won in. Uh, early April, and, and Joe was in in late September. So, you know, so I say it like this: so the, the, actually, the oh, chronology, boom, 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 the boom. chronology is the late September for Joe is the twenty fifth of September, I believe. October sixth for the Tigers. So that's like a couple weeks apart from each other. Yeah. I mean, like ten, like literally, like eight days apart. And then, uh, and then the the Lions are December fifteenth. So that's only a couple months after this. And then the Red Wings. You know, we're we're in uh, you know late March early was they they clinched in very early uh, April so you know this all happens within a seven month stretch of time right right you know seven month stretch of time so that's what I mean it's like rapid fire and then all this other stuff we're going to be talking about with all these other champions and all these other athletes that's all interspersed throughout all of it you yeah. know so um, yeah I mean it's uh, that but I, I wanted to keep it all together especially yeah. in the movies and in, in, in the story with this too and. I'm not sure exactly when we're going to get to that. Maybe we'll do it sure. for Champions Day ah, for yeah. 2022. Ooh, I like or something. it. I like it. You know, maybe we'll do something like that. It might be kind of like an event. Like, if, especially if we do an event at the Historical Museum. Yeah. Maybe it'd be cool to, like, you know, to go rapid fire with, the, you know, if there's anybody that wants to join us for a party down there or something, you know, we'll. You know, we'll uh, we'll give a little brief intro, but then go rapid fire into the uh, into the events. You know, I like and it. Record it. That'd be kind of cool. All right. That's it. Till next time. Uh, thanks for being with us. Like, subscribe, leave a comment, and uh, we'll see you next time. Put them up. 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 I forgot that. Yeah. <laughs>